Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader. And my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do just that right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. So I have been a private school leader for 32 years. For the first 21 years, I was the head of school at a preschool through 12th grade Christian school. And since 2012, I have been the head of intermediate and middle school at a Jewish day school. And over those 32 years, I was thinking about this and kind of counting and estimating. And I would estimate that I have probably had close to 3,000 meetings with parents. And, you know, many of, many of them, most of them were in person, but some of them were on the phone. Uh, many of them were on the phone. Um, for a while, many of them were on Zoom. Um, but, you know, some of them, unfortunately, were on the sideline at a basketball game or on the corner of the soccer field or in the parking lot next to my car. You, you get the idea. But I wanted to let you in on a little secret, something that it took me about 10 years to learn this secret about meetings with parents. And so here's the secret. About 25% of the time, the first problem is not the real problem. So let me say that again. About 25% of the time when you're meeting with a parent, the first problem is not the real problem. And I can hear what you're saying. You're saying, oh, no, 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 no. This is hard enough to meet with a parent and to figure out uh, how to help them and they're describing the problem sometimes at full volume. How am I supposed to now figure out what the real problem is if you're telling me that one-fourth of the time that the first problem is not the real problem? Well, I've got you covered. So what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast is how to navigate this when, in my experience... 25% of the time, the first problem is not the real problem. And so we're going to do it by, I'm going to give you three examples of what I'm talking about. We'll talk about the obstacles to getting to the real problem, some indicators when you're having a meeting that the problem they're talking about isn't the problem they're actually upset about, and then some strategies on how to get to the real problem, and then some resources that can help you as well. So before we jump into today's topic, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast by giving you a free gift. And since we're talking about meeting with parents, I thought it would be appropriate to remind you that I've created a guide called The Seven Steps to Having Successful Meetings with Upset Parents. And this is an 11-page PDF that gives you a step-by-step -step plan to have better meetings with the parents at your school. Every good coach has a game plan, every good teacher has a lesson plan, but too many private school leaders don't have a plan when they sit down to meet with an upset parent. Well, now you have a plan, and you can grab the free guide at 
theprivateschoolleader.com slash meeting. That's theprivateschoolleader.com slash meeting. And I wanted to ask for a quick favor. Wherever you listen to this podcast, if you could please rate the podcast and write a review, I'd really appreciate it. That's something that helps the algorithm push the podcast out as suggested content. And then it goes out to private school leaders all over the world, and we can share all this information with them as well. So we're talking about what to do when you know you, you listen to this secret that I shared with you a few moments ago, that in my experience, 25% of the time, the problem that they're complaining about the first, I call it the first problem, that the first problem is not the real problem. So the way we're going to dig into that and help you is by looking at three examples of what I mean, some obstacles to getting to the real problem, some indicators that the first problem is not the real problem, some strategies of how to get to the real problem, and some resources. So let's start with some examples. So my first uh, each one is going to be a little story. These are all true. Um, so the first is, I had a mom that was upset. Her sixth grade son was uh, had an injury and was in a walking boot. And the mom was upset about her son's tardies. So she had gotten a an email from the school, um, one of those kind of automatic emails when they hit a certain number. And, um, you know, the, the mom came in, asked for a meeting with me, and was just really, really upset about these tardies, and are they going to be on the report card? Are they going to be on his permanent record? And don't you know that, you know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, an injury here, and, and just, you know, what, why, why do you have to record these tardies? And just very, very upset about the tardies. And so, I talked to her for a while and asked some questions and um, just kind of really listened, tried to really listen. And and then she told me that um, her husband had had just had surgery um, and that it was a lot. You know, I asked a couple questions. I'm like, well, the, um, does does your husband usually bring your your son, um, this sixth grader? Does your does your husband usually bring your son to school? Yes. Um, and so really what was going on, a couple of things, um, as we talked it through, and then I kind of made a guess on what I thought was upsetting her and, and, and said it back to her. And then she agreed, yeah, that, that's, that, that's why I'm upset. And really what was going on there, of course, she was under a lot of stress. Um, she was stressed out about her husband having surgery, stressed out that he was rehabbing and couldn't drive and and then just trying to balance all of this and get her son to school and was actually worried that the teachers was were going to think that she's a bad parent. Um, and you know those parents who are the ones who come to um, parent-teacher conferences when they we really don't need them to because their kid's getting an A and they've never been in trouble in their life. You know those parents? So they're the ones who uh, I, I, I even said to this mom, I said, you know, 
we created the handbook and the attendance policies and, you know, they're for everybody, but they're really for the, the kids and the parents who, who need the structure and need the rules. And, um, they're, they're kind of not really for, for parents like you. (laughs) And, um, my point is, is that it's the parents who follow all the rules and try to do all the things right that think when they do a couple things that they quote unquote mess up that all the teachers somehow think they're a bad parent. So my point is she walked in, she's upset and she's upset about these tardies on, on the, the, the report card when really she was stressed out about her husband and worried that the teachers were going to think that she was a bad parent and didn't care about getting her son to school on time. So that's story number one. Story number two, um, seventh grade girl, uh, towards the end of the school year, um, she had a concussion, um, and don't really remember how she got it. That's not important, but she's recovering from a concussion. Dad comes in and he's super, super upset about a grade on a science test. Extremely upset. And this girl is a really hard worker. Um, you know, if, if, if everyone were to have been given an IQ test in the, in the class, um, you know, maybe she doesn't have the highest IQ of all of the students, but boy, was she a hard worker. You know, things didn't come easy to her, but one of the hardest working students I've ever seen. And so dad is really upset about the science grade. And so I, um, I talked to him and again, tried to listen and just tried to ask some questions and really what we got down to was, you know, is she going to get better from this concussion? Is she going to be ready for high school in a year? You know, this our school goes up to eighth grade and then they graduate and they go off to different high schools. And, um, you know, and it wasn't about the science grade, a test on a science, uh, a grade on a science test where it was a little lower than maybe what she was used to the underlying thing that he was actually upset about was, is my daughter going to be okay? Is she going to get everything she needs and be ready for high school? So that's what I'm saying is, is that sometimes the first problem is not the real problem. And then story number three, um, mom and dad, very, very upset, um, met with me, wanted to have a meeting with me and our head of school. And the, the deal was that another seventh grade girl, um, and they moved, um, from another big city to our city. And, um, it was the beginning of the school year and it was less than two weeks into the school year. And they were complaining that their daughter was being bullied by the other girls in the class. And so I looked into it and, and she wasn't being bullied. It was just that things were happening where she maybe, you know, less than two weeks into the school year, wasn't getting invited to go hang out with the other girls after school. Um, some of the situations were awkward because, you know, these other girls had had their friend groups for years and years. Um, and she was having a little bit of difficulty, you know, and it was going to take some time to penetrate that friend, those friend groups that had existed for years. And it wasn't even the end of the second full week of school. And so the mom and dad are there, they're upset. They're saying that their daughter is getting bullied. All right. That wasn't the real problem. Um, talking it through 
and just kind of asking questions and listening and poking and just trying to really understand it. What it really turned out to be was is that um, mom and dad were feeling a lot of guilt about how their jobs had taken them from a city in New England to a city in, you know, the, the upper Midwest. And they felt guilty about pulling their kids out of school and their daughter wasn't happy about it. You know, a, a girl who had just finished sixth grade at her private school in Boston, um, not happy about it and um, came to our school and the parents just wanted things to go really fast and to um, have her be um, just popular or just to be, you know, integrated into the social groups and being invited to do things outside of school. And they just wanted that timeline to be super, super accelerated. And they wanted it to happen immediately. And so it wasn't really that their daughter was getting bullied. It was just that the situation needed some time and maybe needed a little bit of coaxing and some effort on our part to, you know, help things along. But it, the first problem was not the real problem. So those are three examples of what I'm talking about. And so what are some obstacles to being able to actually discover? Now, again, I'm not saying this happens all the time. I don't want you to think that, oh, my goodness, every time a parent walks into my office or I get on a phone call that the thing that they're saying they're upset about, it's not really the thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in my experience, and maybe at your school it's less often, I'm just saying in my experience that it's around 20, 25% of the time that there's something else going on. And so how do you get from, how do you get past that first problem to the real problem? And then how do you know when to stop with the questions or to just accept that what they're upset about is actually what they're upset about. I know it sounds complicated, but I'm going to walk you through it. So gave you some examples. So now what are some obstacles to this, finding this out when in fact the first problem is not the real problem? Okay. Number one is lack of time. We are so busy. Our schedules are crazy. Um, we are just trying to get to the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. And so sometimes we're just looking for all of the shortcuts. We're going to take them at face value, what they have to say, and then boom, we're going to go and we're going to start working on it. And that's fine. You know, and even in the situations where you don't catch what the real problem is, if you're still working on the first problem, you're still, you know, building, you're still making things better, likely. You're still building trust with this parent and you're not hurting the child or hurting the situation. And so, you know, just it's a reality that we have a lack of time and, it, you know, sometimes these things take time when we're meeting with parents to dig down a little deeper. Okay, the second obstacle is your history with the parent and that could be a good history or a bad history. And so what I mean by that is your, an obstacle could be, let's say you've just had, you know, meetings with this parent and most of them haven't gone well. Okay. Well then you're just going to try to get through this as quickly as possible. And then you're not going to, um, you know, 
dig a little deeper. And then the other thing is true too, is if you just have had very good interactions with this parent over the years and very infrequent interactions, then, you know, they're, and, and they're also super, super nice and not pushy or in, in any way. And, and so then it just seems like face value is face value. And so sometimes the history with the parent can be an obstacle. And that kind of leads to number three, which is bias. So um, three things with bias real quick, bias toward complaining parents, you know, just in our, in our minds, we've dealt with so many of them that we kind of br- paint with the broad brush. And, you know, we figure, well, they're telling us what's mad, what they're mad about, what they're angry about. So let's just get through it and deal with the thing. Okay. So painting any group with a large brush is bias. Um, And so bias toward complaining parents is one obstacle, but then also negativity bias. We, uh, negativity bias is the tendency to pay more attention to negative information than positive information. And more weight is given to negative experiences over neutral or positive experiences. Okay, cool. you know that. But my point is, is that there's a lot of negativity coming at you, you know, out of that person's mouth and maybe with their body language as well. And so, boom, you're just really all tuned into what they're saying. And, and you know, there's that um, uh, you're paying attention to the negative information. But then there's also confirmation bias, and that's the tendency to search, interpret, and recall information in a way that aligns with our pre-existing values, opinions, or beliefs. And so with confirmation bias, if most of the time in the past when a parent comes in and they're upset and they tell us what they're upset about and that's the thing, then of course we have confirmation bias that what they're telling us is the problem. It's the real problem. And most of the time it is, you know, if 75 to 80% of the time it is, then sometimes it's just a shortcut to just get on with doing this incredibly difficult job of running a private school. And so that's number three, as far as um, obstacles is bias. But I think number four is probably one of the biggest thing I things as far as the tricky part with obstacles to um, finding out the real problem in, instead of the first problem. And I have it highlighted in yellow in my notes here, and that is listening with the intent to respond. And I do this, you do this, we all do this, we try not to, but because we solve problems all day long, we are in a mode that when someone is telling us the problem, Our brains, we can't help it. We're private school leaders. Our brains are already jumping ahead to what we're going to say, listening with the intent to respond. And we're going to give advice. We're going to solve the problem. We're going to, you know what I mean? So it's like listening with the intent to respond. It's not really listening because we've already kind of decided that we know what the problem is. And most of the, some of the time we do, most of the time we do, but regardless of whether the real problem is hiding behind the first problem, regardless of any of that, it's really good advice when it comes to your teachers, your students, your parents, your colleagues, that when you listen, to use active listening and to not listen with the intent to respond. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And then the the fifth obstacle to... um, finding the real problem hiding behind the first problem is the the phone um, and to a lesser degree zoom so you know I've found that um, most of the time when I can suss out that um, there's something else going on here it's been when I'm talking to someone in person 
and it's less likely that I'm catching that when I'm on the phone. And you know why. Um, when you meet in person, just so many different cues, the body language, um, you know, communication is so much more than just the words. And so, um, again, sometimes, mo many times, um, you know, the parent calls and they're upset and we're talking to them on the phone and um, that's an obstacle. And so I'm not saying that you need to have all of your meetings in person. I'm just saying when you do have a meeting in person, um, you, there's a lot more evidence, a lot more cues, a lot more clues for you to be able to figure this out. All right. So now I want to talk about some indicators on um, some things might be so that some things that might catch your attention, just get your antenna up, get uh, ding your radar, that there might be something else going on here. And number one is disproportionate response to the size of the problem. Okay. Now I, I hear what you're saying. You're like, yeah, all of my parents respond disproportionately to the size of the problem. I know I get it. I hear you. Um, but I'm, what I'm getting at, it, it's easier to figure out that the real problem is not the first problem the longer that you've known a parent. It's very difficult in your first meeting, second meeting. If you don't know them very well, you're just, most of the time, you're just going to take it at face value because you don't know any better. I don't know any better. But I would say that over the years that it's much more likely for me to, you know, dig in and, and kind of those three examples that I gave you, you know, two of them, I knew the family very well, and one of them was a new family, but it's um, a lot easier with a new family because you've got a sample size, or excuse me, with an existing family that you know for a while because you have a sample size. You know how they react to stuff. And so if this person is, re is responding in a way that is disproportionate to the size of the problem and they don't usually do that, that's an indicator. Indicator number two is the interaction is not typical based on the relationship. And so let's say that I have a really good relationship with a parent and then they just, and, and usually we've had very, very, um, you know, good meetings. Um, and then all of a sudden they just come on strong and, and they're borderline rude. And just, you know, so my point is, is that the interaction is not typical. Um, or, Maybe they are, they, maybe they come on strong and it's usually like a high volume, but this time they're just really kind of quiet and seem a little defeated and seem a little sad, you know? So my point is, is that if the interaction is atypical from what you've experienced in the past, and then indicator number three is hopefully you do this, that when you're trying to check for understanding you know, you rephrase and you say, okay, well, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like what the problem is, is dot, 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 or, um, and, and you just get, maybe they say, yeah, okay, but you're getting from their body language that you, they don't feel heard. I think that even young, I th not necessarily young administrators, but I think that in, in administrators, private school leaders that are kind of new to leadership, maybe within their first two or three years as a private school leader, I still still think that you have pretty good instincts on knowing when a person feels heard or when they don't feel heard when you're having a meeting. And so my point is, is that another indicator can be that when you rephrase it, you check for understanding. Is this right? Is this, am I getting this? And they're not they're not feeling heard. They're, they're like, no, you just don't get it. You know, that kind of thing, or maybe that's their body language is that's another indicator that 
the, there's a different problem than the one that is presenting itself. All right. So then let's get tactical. And it's like, how do we get to the real problem? Okay. First of all, I just want to remind you again that in my experience, 75, maybe even 80% of the time, it is exactly what it is. You know, they're telling you exactly what they're upset about. And so you just have to have that be the reality. Don't go looking for things that aren't there. I just think that it is that most private school leaders are very high in emotional intelligence and that you can pick up on things. And if you're starting to pick up on things that there might be more there, then you just kind of decide, okay, I'm going to dig a little. I'm going to, I'm going to lean in a little. Okay. And speaking of leaning in, um, number two on how to get to the real problem is active listening. And so of course that's, you know, a no brainer. Um, all the tricks, all the tips, all the things with uh, eye contact, with uh, leaning in, with not having your device nearby, um, with not listening with the intent to respond, um, and just all of the things that you would do um, with active listening, um, not allowing yourself to be distracted because the more that you are present and the more that you're hearing what they're saying and really hearing it, the more likely you are to pick up on those things because it's they're subtle, they're easy to miss. And then number three, and you're going to hear me say this now for about the fourth time in this episode, is number three is not listening with the intent to respond. Not listening with the intent to respond. And so I feel like that's a default for so many of us because it's just has to be because of our jobs and how busy we are and how quickly we need to solve problems. But when you're listening, and this is just good advice, regardless of whether you think something's going on or not. And by the way, a quick sidebar, sometimes this is true with your teachers as well as with the parents. You know, a teacher will come and they're, you know, complaining about their schedule or they're complaining about their duty or they're really upset about something. And it's like, is that they seem to be like overly upset about this duty at the end of the day. And then you like just ask more questions and you find out that they've got an elderly parent that um, is not doing well. And maybe that elderly parent moved in with them recently. Um, so there's this isn't exclusive to parents, but um, not listening with the intent to respond, just actually listening. And then when they're done talking, then you pause and you start thinking about what to say. Um, instead of thinking about what to say while they're talking. I know it's really hard. It takes practice, but trust me, it works. Okay. Um, tactic number four is to go into this with an open mind. Okay. You might think that you already know what the problem is and you just boom, 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 boom. Again, all the shortcuts, all the just want to get it over with, want to just, you know, but to have that open mind is going to tactically be a huge help. Um, and then ask good questions. And you're like, okay, well, I thought I asked, I did ask good questions. All right. Well, I'm going to throw one at you. And this is a question from a book called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bunjay Stanier. Um, an excellent book on, on, on coaching. And, and if you have a coaching mindset when it comes to your teachers, um, that's an excellent book. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but one question from The Coaching Habit is, what is the real problem here for you? So I'll ask that again. What is the real problem here for you? And so it's a little bit risky, 
Um, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, cause the parent might be like, what do you mean is the, what is the real problem? I just told you what the real problem is. So some of it has to do with what is your relationship like with this particular parent? What is your gut telling you about? Like, is there something else going on here? But I've used it and sometimes it unlocks that door and sometimes they don't even realize that there's a, another problem. It's not like they walk in there. Most of them, they know what they're upset about and they're telling you something different and they're like hoping that you can be a private investigator and a puzzle solver and you can figure it out that's not it they go in there and they're upset about the thing but they don't realize that they're actually upset about the second thing okay and so my point is is that asking the question what is the real problem here for you you just have to have the instincts and have the courage um, and to really read the situation that you know, when it is time to ask that question. And I'm not saying you ask that in every, every single meeting that you have that this is, these are outliers, you know, but it's still there. And I've found that that's a pretty good question. Okay. Um, another indicator is to take your time. Um, again, we are, um, always, um, just trying to get to the next thing and trying to wrap up and trying to move on. But, you know, to, again, take your time, uh, with it. And then number seven on tactics would be just really come at it with some extra empathy and really try to view things through the lens of what is it that this person is going through right now? That's, you know, what are they going through? Extra empathy. And I know that you lead with empathy. I know that you really try to, you know, big doses of empathy when you're having these meetings with parents, but just again, to, try to just use some extra empathy during these meetings. And then finally, tactic number eight, just really try to figure out what is causing the emotion that I'm seeing expressed in front of me right now. All right, let me hit you with that again. What is really causing the emotion that is, that I'm, that I'm observing that's coming my way from this person? And most of the time it's anxiety. What's causing the anxiety for this person? And sometimes that underlying anxiety isn't about the thing that they're complaining about. Okay, so we've given some examples. I've um, gone through some obstacles and some indicators and then given you some tactics. And then I want to wrap up the episode by giving, uh, giving you some resources. Okay, so for your teachers... Um, Let's just say that, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that this is an episode that you should like forward to your teachers and be like, hey, you need to listen to this, blah, 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 because I really think that you meet with parents way more often than your teachers do. And if it's going to escalate, it'll get to you anyways, and then you can kind of figure it out. But I'm just getting at, in general, starting with the teachers, that I've created a resource called The Six Ways to Build Effective Relationships with Difficult Parents that is a plug-and-play PD. And I know many school leaders around, uh, especially around North America, have used this at different times during their school year. And it's a 45-minute video webinar. And it also has guided notes and discussion questions. And it's something that you can use with your whole staff or that you can use with a specific teacher if you want to coach them up in the area of parent communication. And that is available over at the privateschoolleader.com slash resources. And um, then also at the top of the episode, I mentioned uh, 
a resource about the seven steps to having successful meetings with upset parents. And that's available at the privateschoolleader.com slash meeting. All of these will be linked in the show notes at the privateschoolleader.com slash episode 60. So you don't have to be trying to like figure out, oh man, I can't remember. This was a PD that was a webinar and this one was like a PDF and this one is a podcast episode. Okay. You don't have to remember all this stuff. I'm just going to throw it at you and then it'll all be in the show notes for you at the privateschoolleader.com slash episode 60. There's another PDF um, article that I've created called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. And um, a lot of good stuff in there for building better relationships. And um, that one is at the privateschoolleader.com slash parent. So really, um, all of these things that I just mentioned, the plug and play PD, the, the, the guides, the PDFs, things of that nature, um, not only are they linked in the show notes, but they're also linked um, it's easy to just go to the privateschoolleader.com slash resources, and there's a ton of free resources there for you. And some of them have to do with parent communication. And then there's just a few podcast episodes that I want to mention. So episode two, teach your teachers the top five ways to build effective relationships with difficult parents. Um, episode 10, teach your teachers the five C's of effective parent communication. And even though both of those say teach your teachers, there's a ton of great stuff in there for you to have better uh, meetings and to have better communication with the parents at your school. Um, episode 26, how to handle the 5% of parents that are trying to destroy your school community. And that talks about the five percenters um, that are the intimidators, the um, anxious and incompetent, and the, um, uh, yeah, the, the intimidators the anxious and incompetent and the non-responsive are the three groups um, that are talked about in episode 26. Episode 29 is called these three little words will change the way that you lead. And those three little words are first of all, and the episode talks about how, when you're listening to a parent that instead of just getting into solving the problem, if you lead with first of all, then you can say, first of all, that sounds really hard. And I can see why your son would be upset about that. Um, it's changed the way I communicate with parents. Um, so that is worth a listen. Episode 29, episode 44, five ways to turn your parents into raving fans. Episode 52, the five things that are probably true about the parents at your school. And then I'll also link what I think is the best book on building relationships and communicating with parents in private schools. And it's called hopes and fears. And I will link that book in the show notes as well. So there's a ton of resources there for you. All of them except the book are free. And that book is published by NAIS. I'll link all of that stuff for you in the show notes, which you can find at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 60. So let's wrap it up. When your parents complain, sometimes the first problem is not the real problem. And so in today's episode, I gave you three examples. I gave you several obstacles to getting at that real problem, hiding behind the first problem, gave you some indicators that there's more there, gave you some tactics on how to get to the real problem, and then listed resources to help you so that you can build better relationships and have better communication and have better meetings. So all of that is there for you in the show notes. So I like to give a call to action. The next time that you meet with a parent, just ask yourself as you're listening, 
is the first problem the real problem? Just ask yourself that question. And most of the time, the first problem is the real problem, but every once in a while it's not. And the more that you meet with parents and the more that you apply those skills that you have as a communicator, um, the more, uh, the easier it will be to get to the bottom of that. So um, I also um, just once again, we'll mention all the resources that you can find over at the privateschoolleader.com slash resources. And if you're getting value from the podcast, I'd love to have you shoot me an email at mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K.O.M-I-N-K-U-S at gmail.com. And just let me know about a strategy that you're using or the biggest pain point that you're experiencing at your school right now. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Um, I'll mention it one last time, the episode show notes, privateschoolyear.com slash episode 60. And a new episode of the Private School Year podcast comes out every week on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Please rate and review the podcast. I'm on Instagram at the Private School Leader, on Twitter at the PS Leader. And if you got value from this episode, just please, I'd love it if you would share this with another leader that you know, and also share it with an aspiring leader at your school. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I want to say I appreciate you and all the hard work and the amazing work that you're doing as you serve your school. Thank you so much for taking some of your precious time out of your week to join me here today. And I will see you next time right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.